Good evening. I'm Fiona Mountford, theatre critic of the Evening Standard, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you here tonight for this platform. For theatre lovers, my guest Dominic Cook will need no introduction. Formerly Associate Director of the RSC, he is now, of course, the highly acclaimed Artistic Director of the Royal Court. Completing his tour of our major subsidised theatres, his production of the Comedy of Errors marks his national theatre debut. Welcome, Dominic. Thank you. You're obviously used to being in charge of the Royal Court, running the building and so on. So what's it like to come here and suddenly not be the boss? Is it a refreshing change? Or do you walk around thinking, if I were Nick Heitner, I'd paint that wall a different colour? No, um, it's actually a real, a real pleasure to not have the overall responsibility, to not be thinking about whether the show's going to sell yes. um, and to just be focusing on delivering, delivering the production. So it was, it was a pleasure. So... Obviously, at the court, you've been concentrating heavily on new writing mm. for the past few years. So did you enjoy this opportunity to come and immerse yourself in something completely different, a classic text? Absolutely. I mean, I, I did spend... I, I started, really, at the RSC doing uh, as an assistant director many, many years ago. And then I spent five years working um, with Michael Boyd. And um, I missed Shakespeare. I mean, Shakespeare is the most testing of all, uh, of all theatrical, of all writing really, including opera. I've done a bit of opera, I've done modern classics and new plays, and they each have a particular challenge, but I do think Shakespeare is the, is the most demanding of all because one's got to make the language come to life, that's the first challenge. One's got to find a world that is coherent and makes sense for the play. Yes. But also I think that the, the kind of depth and range of human experience that's in the plays demands that everyone involved is stretched beyond their everyday experience sure. and their everyday kind of emotional life and psychological life. So um, it's a fantastic thing to do. And that's why we keep doing the plays, because even the greatest productions of Shakespeare plays will only reveal a percentage of the play. Yes, of course. There is so much in each play, philosophically, intellectually, emotionally. Um, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing to have to fill that, to have to try and fill that space. So um, I was really, I've been thinking about this play for many years and, um, and really ready to come, come back to Shakespeare. Right. There was voice work. Right. There's a great voice department here. Um, and um, there was, there was one, tended to be one-to-one -one voice work. We did do a couple of sessions with the whole company. But the thing about Shakespeare is, in my experience of having assisted and then worked on it over a number of years, is the acting of it depends on the actors being absolutely present inside the language as they speak it. Yes. So, of course, one's aware of verse, and in this play, a lot of the, most of the plays in verse, and it's all rhyming. A lot of it, not all rhyming, a lot of it's rhyming. I mean, I tend, I, I assisted Peter Hall at one point, so I learned a lot about that, that very rigorous approach to yes. Shakespeare. Um, and there's certainly a lot of clues, because they didn't have directors. There are a lot of clues in the way that the, 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 the plays are written in terms of their verse and prose structure. Mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of psychological, they're acting clues. Mm -hmm. So I tend to think of it that way. The, 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 the form of the language is a clue to how to play it. But really, what I'm really interested in is, are you really meaning what you're saying as yes. you speak it? So that, that's, that's, that's what I tend to be looking for in a rehearsal of Shakespeare. The thing is... The play is always seen in relation, because it's a very early play, um, in relation to Shakespeare's later work. So what people do is they go, oh, well, he wrote King Lear. Uh, this is a kind of juvenile play. It's like a warm-up. Yes. And actually, if you took the fact that he wrote these kind of great plays later on, and you just put that aside and looked at the play in its own terms, 
okay, it borrows from generic forms, but it is actually a really profound and interesting and moving play. It's a serious-minded play. Yes. And, um, you know, like all comedy, one has to look at, you know, what's really going on underneath it. And um, I've always thought the play is a lot better than most people give it credit for. And I've found in production often the play to be quite disappointing because yes. it's done as this knockabout superficial comedy. Yes. Um, and I thought, well, actually, this play is about, for me, mainly, the experience of being a foreigner and being a foreigner in your own life, to some extent, being estranged from who you really are. And the metaphor of twins being separated it, you know, embodies that. But all of the characters at the beginning of the play are in a deep, deep crisis. And um, they're all lost. Yes. They're all lost, you know. Physically or metaphorically. Yeah, yes. they are. Yeah. I mean, there's a brilliant portrait in the play of a marriage that is just in total chaos. Yes. You know, the husband never at home, always out, a kind of psychological war going on, a woman who can only see herself in terms of her husband yes. and his recognition of her, which struck me as being quite a contemporary Yes, <laughs> and it's played situation. in a very, people who've seen it will know, it's played in a very contemporary way as well. I mean, the thing that's, a joyful, that's joyful about Shakespeare, we have these very um, contemporary views of drama that, that really, that they're actually kind of 19th century ideas about the fourth wall, which is that when you're on stage, you pretend the audience aren't there, right? So you don't acknowledge an audience and we behave. This only came around at the end of the 19th century. It's, a, it's actually a very modern idea. Drama existed for thousands of years before that with the understanding that the audience existed. And what's great about, about Shakespeare is it exists in two realities at the same time. One, absolutely in the reality of what is happening on stage, a, a real situation, but also it exists in relation to the audience, which means that the characters can step out of the scene and go, what am I gonna do? Yes. What, what am I gonna do? I, and not just in the soliloquies, one of the things I learned from working with John Barton at the RSC was actually editors make decisions when, when the texts are published about which bits are aside, but actually you can take a lot of Shakespeare to the audience. Sure. There are many single lines or couplets you, just, you can take out and, and ask the audience. So I think there's always, because of that acknowledgement of the audience, there's always a, a willing suspension of disbelief yes. when you're watching a Shakespeare play. And when you're in this theatre where the audience are all around you, you never forget that you're watching a play. So I didn't worry too much about that. We did try. Um, very hard to make sure that the twins had physical similarity. We also help them by, you know, facial hair and glasses and. Yes. Uh, but, 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 but we, um, yeah, exactly, yeah. We, 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 we assisted that, but I mean, there's always a point at which the audience accept the convention. And in fact, if they really looked alike, the play wouldn't work. I mean, if they were identical, the play yes. is much harder to, to, to communicate. But the, the thing about these plays, the greatness of Shakespearean comedy is always in the resolution of the plays. Yes, And that, yes. That, that's where I feel kind of proudest in this production, because I think one has to honour and take those, that metaphor and the power of re, people being reunited that have been separated over many years seriously. And the problem, if you only have one person playing both of those, is it just becomes, it's very funny. But, it but just, it's about theatrical yeah. trickery rather than an emotional reality. So I pretty quickly got rid of that. I yes. mean, of course, there's play, there are playful elements. And I was keen when we were talking about the play. We never really talked about what was funny in it. But that there are knockabout physical, there are moments of physical comedy that are clearly written into the play. Yeah. And we wanted to honour those. But really, we started from... Well, we started from a question of well, what is going on in this relationship? What is the backstory? Just taking it seriously. And I think if mm. you do do that, then the end of, this is universal with Shakespearean comedy, I think if you take the play seriously, um, without being too kind of, 
I don't prissy about that. You know, yes. one, can, one can be kind of earnest in that and go too far in that direction. But if you take basically the premise of the play seriously, you will have a payoff at the end. And yes. If you honour what's been written. And that was really, um, really what, what, what we were trying to do. What often happens with this play is that the play starts with, um, if you put aside the first thing, which is kind of a prologue, the play starts with a man arriving in a foreign city and going, this place is really weird. <laughs> I don't trust anyone here. I don't like it. And that's the feeling that a lot of us have when we first arrive in a foreign place. Yes. But what often happens in the play is that it's set in somewhere kind of exotic. So we go in with that character as the audience into this strange place, and it is genuinely strange. Yes. But what I thought would be really interesting would be to invert that and make it kind of like the city that we're in now. Yes, yes. So actually, the person is from another place coming into something that's a bit like London and going, God, these people are weird. Yes. <laughs> because that, you know, it's, it, being estranged is a state of mind. One can be estranged within one's own life. One can oh, be estranged... Yeah. Um, and it's about point of view and perspective, and I think the play really does deal with that. Um, and so that was the idea in terms of the world. But I was also kind of interested, I mean, obviously, this is a, the most challenging space in the whole of this country in terms of, you know, how do you make a play work in this space? Such it's, a wide it, it's a very space, tricky yeah. stage. So there was, we did have that in mind, but I was also really interested in this, which is that um, Peter Brook's idea of the empty space um, and a stripped-back approach yes. to putting on plays where you don't really have much in the way of scenery. We know it works. Yeah. We know that Shakespeare can be played with very little, and it works. We've also seen that in The Globe, where yes. there's often very little in the way of set. But I feel that it's become something of a cliché mm. in contemporary Shakespeare, yeah. that that's what we do. And it's an excuse for not having any ideas. Ooh, sometimes. I, no, I like sometimes. That. I like that. I it's like just, that oh, right, theory. we'll do absolutely nothing and yeah. let the language... Now, of course, that's, that's one approach. But there are other legitimate approaches, too. Yes. And the other <laughs> legitimate approach is to provide a really detailed world. We are in a very visual age. I'm always interested in doing these plays as if they've never been done before for audiences that haven't seen them before. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I discovered at the end of my time at the RSC, I did this production of Pericles, Winter's Tale, with the same company of actors, and we had moments in those productions that were very realistic mm. in the setting. So the world of the brothel at the end of Pericles, we had a sofa, we had a table, we had her counting out the money. Now, in this play, there's a lot of realism yes, about city yes, life. Yes. You owe me this money, I need this money, where is it? He's Give me this object. It yeah. It's yes. rather like the kind of credit crunch. If one person <laughs> decides not to pay someone back, it has a massive knock-on. It is, yeah. A knock-on effect. And I thought, well, actually, the play can take, even though we've got this heightened element of identical twins being the same place at the same time, but let's explore what happens if you really support each scene with a concrete reality. Yes. And you actually take the audience through the city into the snooker hall, yes. into you know, the red light district. And um, so, that was, so that was part of the exploration, really, the production, was how much, because all previous productions I've done were much more... Um, much more spare yes. in, their, in their visual language. So that was part of what Bunny and I set out to do at the beginning. And it's been a really interesting, it's been a really interesting part of the process, actually, seeing how, how much realism you can put in. I mean, one of the other things that is, I think, important and liberating as I, you know, as I worked on Shakespeare was, you know, you don't have to do the whole thing. I mean, the fact of the matter is that people can read the text in the in the bookshop. And there'll be another production of this. There's already been about four in the last two years because I've seen them. And what you're doing is you're going, this is what we believe the play to be now, yes. here. And we're going to do that. And we're going to stick to it. We're going to honour it. And we're going to 
We're going to commit to it. We don't, we're not going to try and do everything because we can't. The minute you cast one actor in a, in a part, you're, all, you're automatically making an interpretation of yes, the play. Yes, absolutely. Because that person's <clears throat> ability, their character, who they are as a human being will, will, will be the way that, that that character is communicated, a kind of conduit. So, so actually, over the years, I've become more confident in that and just going, and also it informs you know, the cutting of the text. And having worked for many years now on new plays, you think, well, actually, I bet I did cut bits. And, you know, if the writer was here, you know, you're, you know, you don't have to, this kind of purist idea that you should have to do everything with each production yeah. and satisfy everyone's idea of what the play is. Well, you're never going to do that. No. Because so everyone's got their own view already if they know the play. Well, there's two ideas. I mean, the first one was the idea of foreignness. And, you know, you see around London, actually, they don't tend to sing, but you see bands often from the Balkans. In fact, they're, one, they're well, a band on the that play on the yeah. bridge um, on Nightly, who are people who are um, making a living out of being foreign. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, I thought that that would be, you know, a kind of counterpoint to all the foreigners and strangers that there are in the play. But also, the play deals with, in a way the journey from feeling outside something to paranoia to people being what we would call sectioned. Right, <laughs> okay. And the idea that if you're told enough times that you're mentally unstable or that you're not right in some way, that can often become internalized within people. And that's what happens in the play. These guys, because people are interpreting their behavior as crazy, they're being told they're crazy, and they start to go a bit crazy. You know, yes. people pull knives, and someone else uh, goes, uh, starts to be the whole world is, is, is ganging up against him. So we chose songs that were about madness, about being outside, about feeling like a stranger, paranoia. Yeah. So that was how those, that, that's how that came about. Yeah, I mean, he is accurate about cities. I think, I think what the play deals a lot with business transaction and the idea of exchange. And, if I do this for you, you pay me that. And even the prostitute in the play, it's very specific. Mm. She needs to, she's given something of value away and she needs that back because she's not got a lot of money. Yes. So everything's kind of rooted in this very, in this play, rooted in a very material place, you know. Yes. And, and, and what rich people do, you know, the you know, Antipolis of Ephesus can choose to say, oh, well, I, I don't, I'm not going to pay you now. I don't have the money on me. And that has a huge knock-on effect. Yes. So, I'm, so, I, so I think, I think the, the, the city seemed, and the reality of the city of people living together and working together and being together in a city felt very important in the play, which is one of the reasons I suggested to Nick Heitner that I wanted to do the play in this space. Oh, you suggested yeah, it, yes. Yeah, right. because okay. I said, because, I, you know, it's always been a space that I've been trying, slightly frightened of because I think it is full of pitfalls, but I wanted to make it public. I wanted to make the world of the play very, very public and have a whole city on the stage. Yes. Uh, well, what better stage is there in the, in the country than this one to do that? Tell us a little bit about working with Lenny Henry. I think that's something we'd like to know. He's a late but enthusiastic convert to Shakespeare, isn't he? After his award-winning turn in Othello, for which he won the Evening Standard Best Newcomer a couple of years ago. And so he, <laughs> what, was he your first port of call for Yeah, casting? he was. And I, we, you know, we met and I asked him to read for me, which he did with great grace and um, he's been fantastic he's he's a he's a he's a real actor in the in the, in his thought processes are very much the pro thought processes of many other talented actors that I've worked with you know and he's incredibly searching generous and very hard-working mm. incredibly passionate and has great humility you know he's been part you know we spent the first week doing a lot of physical improvisations oh, and he was yes. absolutely part of that so he's been a real pleasure 
to work with. And I think that spirit of generosity in a company is very, very important, especially in an ensemble play like this. Yes. You really need people to be committed to working with one another. And, um, and it does kind of come through on stage, I think, that when, when it's working and when it's not. So he's, been, he's really contributed to that. It's, it's been a real, real joy, actually, to work with him. I mean, it's quite a physical show, and um, the movement director, we, there were two very long, and, well, very long, very tough physical sequences in it. Um, and the movement director, Anne Yi, led a lot of physical improvisations, partly to get people ready to do that work, and partly to get people working together. You know, just to get people to contact one another physically and to feel comfortable with one another and to feel ready to work. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we did, we did every morning for the first week. It was pretty full on. I mean, it was really hard physical work for everyone, but it was a great bonding thing, and it, got, it did get everyone ready to, to start work on the play, you know. But I decided early on, because we were, we were, playing, we were, gonna, we were playing with this notion of a city that's you know, like London. I mean, not literally London, but feels like, like London. And, um, and I thought, well, where would the foreign twins be from in order to make that work? And I thought that, you know, and there's also a whole, there's a whole thing about people being illegally, illegally trafficked into the city at the beginning, yep. which, of course, is a great feature of our city. I mean, there are a lot of people who have come into the city through illicit means. And, um, and, and London is now a city of foreigners. I mean, there's so many different nationalities. So, um, I, I, but I thought what would work would be the idea of, of basing it on, on, Niger on people who were born in Nigeria because there's a lot in the play about superstition and witchcraft. Oh, and yes. that goes into a Yoruban tradition in, in Nigeria. So we came up with that idea. So that, of course, informed the casting. And then beyond that, it was a question of finding great actors that you want to work with who are right the parts. And, and certainly in terms of the ensemble, a real mix of different people. Um, you know, d different physical types of different, different energies and different qualities so that you've got this, um, you know, sense of a city. Yes, In absolutely. all its diversity, you know. You know, it's not, you know, it's, there, not, it's kind of an exaggerated yes. version of London in, in certain areas, and certainly, like, the red light district is more explicit than, yes. than it is in London. It's much more in that British way. It's all hidden away, and um, but, but it's a bit more like Amsterdam or something like that. But, but it's a Western city that someone from West Africa who hadn't been to a Western city might go, respond to and go, ugh, I don't like that, you're yeah. weird. And, um, uh, and that, that, that was the idea. I mean, some of the play, we've actually, some, there are moments in the production where we've clearly made, we've made it very clear that we're seeing things from his point of view, uh -huh. from Antiphilus of Syracuse's point of view, yes. where the reality kind of slightly warps. And, um, and we've, we've put those moments in very clearly because it really, you go into the world with him and he's the first person who speaks directly to the audience. Yeah. So it feels to me that although it's an ensemble play, we start with his story. I mean, the, sh the, 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 the shipwreck in this play, the split in the family is the traumatic event that none of the family can recover from. Mm. And, you know, it's a metaphor for separation, for disorder, for disharmony, for breakup. And we all identify, we all, we all identify with that in different ways. We all understand what it's like to be separated from someone we love. And Shakespeare frequently writes the separation of parent and child into his play, yes. into his plays, both, both comedy and tragedy, because that is the worst and most painful separation. Of course, it's part of life as well. Growing up is, part, is about separation from your parent, but also the loss of a child for a parent is probably the most traumatic thing that a parent can go through. And... Um, you know, it's written into the, the, the plays. So there's very kind of elemental, metaphoric gestures of the plays, I think, are the reason, one of the reasons why the plays continue to be believed in by audiences. And 
I had an amazing experience doing Cymbeline, which, of course, is right at the other end of Shakespeare's career, and which is full of seemingly implausible things. I think there's something like 35 coincidences in the final scene. And there's, there's brilliant things like Jupiter suddenly appears on the stage and a woman wakes up next to the headless body of her husband. And I mean, it's just, it's just one thing after another. But actually, you know, audiences accept the idea of story. They accept the idea of... Um, make-believe to an extent. And when the detail, the emotional life, the investigation of play is so as profound as even the weakest of Shakespeare's plays are, they will enjoy the playfulness of, yes. of those elements of story, the, the archetypal, the fairy tale elements of the stories. Well, look, there's so much we could talk about, and I'm sure many of you are actually keen to see the play now. So um, I think we're going to have to wrap things up. So all that remains for me to do is to thank you all very much for coming, and, of course, to thank our guest, Dominic Kirk. Thank you.